0: So i um I really enjoy doing um, Bible studies where I dig and search and find and and all that kind of stuff. I, I really enjoy those, and I have a difficult time sometimes doing Bible studies that are um, more relational I'll say relational but in our in our Berean class we've been studying relationships and uh, we've done a lot of different relationships in this class and I had them skip a chapter which was the marriage relationship the relationship between you know and the marriage I had them skip that one and I was going to come back and pick it up later But um, as the Lord has been uh, dealing with me and directing me, I I think what we're going to do is we're going to start a Bible study here on marriage and the marriage relationship. Don't everybody say amen at once. A couple of people told me they weren't coming back. I think at the end of tonight, when I get to the end of this, and and this is just an introduction, um, I think when I get to the end of this tonight, you're going to, and I think you already know, but so much of what we know about marriage and relationships has to do with strictly an emotional attachment. The word love, if I say love to a 21st century American audience, if I say love, you think of an emotion. You think of I'm in love or I'm out of love. I had somebody tell me one time, I, I love him, but I'm not in love with him. I don't even know what that means. I love him, but I'm not in love with him. I'm not sure what that even means. And the reason I'm not sure what it means is because when we say love to a 21st century American audience, we think of an emotion. And in the Bible, love is not an emotion. Love is a commitment. It's not something that I love the Lord today because he's doing me good, but I don't love the Lord tomorrow because I'm going through a trial. That's not biblical love. That is sensual love. That is devilish love. That is love that's, that's simply of the flesh, and it's not of the spirit. Because spiritual love, when Jesus says, when, when Paul says, now abide these three faith hope and charity or love and the greatest of these is love he's not talking about an emotion he's talking about a commitment to something that you commit to whether it's for better or for worse or for richer or for poor in sickness and in health till death do us part Then that's the love that God presents in this book. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Love is a commitment, not an emotion. So many people get divorced because they say, I'm no longer in love. We, we used to watch, when we had cable, before we, got rid of, before we cut the cable, we used to watch a show called Married at First Sight. Y'all ever seen that? Where these people, and there's like 20,000 people that try this. They take applications from like, I think when they went to New Orleans, they got like 20,000 applications. Can you believe that? Maybe it was Dallas. One of those two. And they interview 20,000 people to try, and they take tests and they do all this stuff. And these experts put four couples together, four men and four women, I mean, you know, in the proper order, together. They don't meet each other till the wedding day. All they know about their husband or wife is their ring size. That's it. They go pick a ring. They, have the, they, they set up the, the marriage. It's a legal marriage. It's binding. They have everybody seated. The first time the husband sees the, f- the wife's family is when he walks in the, in, the, in the chapel that day. He meets the family. They play the wedding song, the doors open, she walks in. First time he ever laid eyes on her is when she walks down the aisle the first time. And then for the next period of weeks or months, they try to make this marriage work, marriage at first sight, based upon an emotional, uh, whatever you want to call it, testing scenario of numbers and things. And so you watch them on TV as they try to, they go on a honeymoon, they come back, they get an apartment, they live together. As they try to make this marriage work, you watch them for 8, 10, 12 weeks, and then at the end, they go and sit in the room, and they say, I want to stay married or I want a divorce. That's the show. And without exception, every time, The entire marriage is based upon one thing. Well, she makes me happy or he makes me happy. I told Kathy one night, I said, I said, anybody that wants to make a marriage work can make it work. And she said, I don't think I believe you. And I said, if you consider it to be a vow, till death do us part, it'll either work or you die. One of the two. You know, we all got married in here, probably every one of us got married because we were in love with whoever we asked. And that feeling, that emotion, that, that those things that, that brought us together, those things were very important, important enough that you were willing to risk 50% of your stuff in order to make him or her your husband or wife. As you grow as you as you as you live together sometimes you find that feeling of love waning. Sometimes I don't love Kathy. Sometimes she doesn't love me. But but when I say that I'm talking about a feeling And that feeling comes and goes. But the commitment that I made to love her will be there regardless of the feelings that I have. Because I promised before God to stay with her till death do us part. So what we're going to talk about tonight is we're going to look at marriage and we're going to look at how it started And we're going to look at where it is right now. This is just an intro, 30,000 feet, flying over it. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, lead us and guide us tonight, Father. Help our minds to be your minds, God. Show us, lead us, and direct us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So turn with if you would, to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to attend the first marriage tonight. So God created the heavens, the earth, populated everything, brought all the animals before Adam. He participated with God, naming all the animals. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, we come to this verse that says, And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. And they were both naked, the man and the woman, and were not ashamed. So here is God's design for a man and a woman to live in a marital relationship. The man leaves his mother and his father, and he cleaves unto his wife, and they form a family. That is the marriage relationship in God's eyes. There's nothing more, nothing less. That's what it is. And so we find out, I want us to look now and see, looking at what God wanted, I want us to take just a moment and I want us to see what man does with what God's design was. God's design was one man, one woman together for life till death do us part and to form that family based upon a commitment of love and not simply an emotion. So, let's go now to, um, let's see, we'll read here, make sure I get this right. Let's go to Genesis 4, and let's look at 19 through 23. Two chapters, Genesis 4, 19 through 23. So, I think most of you know this, if not everybody knows this, that Cain killed Abel. And when Cain killed Abel, we set two... We, of course, Abel's lines died. Cain set his genealogy in motion. Uh, Adam and Eve had another son. They named him Seth. And then we ended up with two lines. We ended up with the godly line of Seth, and we ended up with the fleshly line of Cain. So we've got two lines of genealogy working here. So we're going to look at, at the fleshly side of Cain. So we look in Genesis 4, 19 through 23, Um, We could start up there with 17. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bared Enoch. And he built the city and called the name of the city after his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Israel, and Erad, Mahujael, Mahujael begat Methusael, Methusael begat Lamech, verse 19. And Lamech took into himself what? Two wives. So it took six generations for us to take the concept of of one man and one woman living and forming a family, it took us six generations for some man to say, That's not gonna work for me. And he takes him two wives. Let's read on here and see what the result is of him violating the law of God and taking two wives. And Adah began Jabel, and he was the father of such as dwell in tents and such as have cattle, and his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all that handle the harp and the organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal-cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-cain was Naamah And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken to my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. So, if you read your sheet, it says, Six generations after Adam, we find the marriage covenant being violated. And man unable to live with one wife of his youth, Cain descendants prospered materially, but their moral breakdown and the violence that developed in their family spread and led to worldwide corruption and violence, worldwide failure to do the will of God. The breakdown in the family, the fact that Lamech decided that he needed two wives and he broke the moral code of what God had set up, began a breakdown in the family And and each one of those kids was prosperous in what they did. They were agriculturalists. They were industrialists. They played music. They they developed a culture. They they did everything that prospered them materially, but morally they began to die. And Lamech ends this passage with saying, because a man made me mad, I killed him. And it began with what? The breakdown of the family. The the desire to have two wives instead of one wife and that moral breakdown ended with the death of a man and as you continue on through chapter 5 you find that the entire world becomes corrupt and God would have destroyed it with a flood but the Bible says one man, Noah, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, the one man in the entire world that was left who still believed in God and in God's laws and who had married one wife and had three children. How would you like to be married to one woman for 600 years? You just don't understand how hard it is. Noah did. (laughs) Enoch was married to the same woman 300 years. So, we find that the first breakdown of the moral code in the Bible began with a man who decided that he didn't have to follow the family setup that God had, but instead he would violate that and take two wives. And by doing that, he introduced um, the the breakdown that ended up being the breakdown of society. Um, if If we move ahead several thousand years... We'll look at the state of marriage in 400 B.C. So let's go over to Malachi. That's the last book in your Old Testament. And let's look at the state of marriage several thousand years later by going to the book of Malachi. This book was written in about 400 B.C. And let's look at chapter 2 and let's read verses 13 through 16. We're talking about what God intended for marriage and what we as mankind tend to make out of marriage. So Malachi 2, 13 through 16 says this. This is the Lord speaking. And he says, This have you done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regarded not the offering anymore and receiveth it at your hand with goodwill at your hand. But ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been a witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dressed treacherously, yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did he not make one? Yet had he the residue of spirit, and wherefore one, that he might take a godly seed? Therefore take heed of your spirit, and let none of you deal treacherously Against the wife of your youth, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously, and he's talking about with your the wife of your youth. So what these if you read your book, your thing here, verse fourteen, verse fourteen, they're complaining because their offerings were no longer accepted at the offering, at the altar. Malachi reminded them that a holy God cannot be expected to accept offerings from the hands of those who were living sinful lives and who were guilty of divorcing their wives to marry heathen women. In God's eyes, it was an abominable practice. So what these guys were doing, where they were marrying these girls, you know, they were going through the traditional Jewish culture relationship, where you were betrothed to a girl when you were 12 years old, when you went to your bar mitzvah and you became a man, then the families got together and they signed a covenant, and then you were you were essentially married. You remember Mary and Joseph? They they Mary was betrothed to to Joseph, and they were essentially married. So at twelve or thirteen years old, as a Hebrew young man, you are essentially married because your families sign a contract, you pay a dowry, and and you're married until the time that the young man has has kind of established himself. Then he comes and he, t- you remember, you remember, um, what was his name? Uh, Jacob. Jacob worked seven years, you remember, for his wife. That, that contract was made seven years earlier, but it took him seven years to get his situation together to where he could come to Laban and say, okay, I want my wife. I've got my, I got my ducks in a row here. I've got my situation set up. I got my house, I got, I've got everything ready to take care of my wife, now I want my wife. So that's what they did. So these people get married, they're 18, 17, 18 years old, they get married, they, they begin to prosper, he gets a job, he, he, he buys a business, he, he makes a lot of money, he gets wealthy, and when he gets wealthy, what they were doing was they were saying, you know what, I think I'd like me a little sweet thing over here. I've had enough of this one. i lived with her now for 20 or 30 years. She's getting kind of old. I think I'm going to go buy me a young one. And so he would divorce his wife, take his dowry, his money, and go to some heathen dad or some, someone that was, that was willing to work with him, and he would buy him a young woman, and she would become his wife. And the other woman that had had his children, now she's out in the cold. And they're complaining, they're saying, you're not listening to our prayers. And God says, I'm not going to listen to your prayers as long as you're treating your wives this way. Some woman should have said amen then. I'm <laughs> starting to think y'all aren't listening to me. As we go on here, if you get back to your sheet, it says Yahweh makes the wife of a man's youth his mate for life and his wife by covenant. If you remember in here in verse... Uh, 14 he says, uh, "Yet she is the companion, the wife of thy covenant. God hates divorce, and his altar is so wedded by the tears of wronged women in Israel that the gifts upon it are not acceptable. That is from a book called "The Twelve Prophets." And as I read that, it reminded me of a verse that's in First Peter. First Peter's in the New Testament. So look with me for just a moment at First Peter, chapter three, verse seven. First Peter. Chapter 3, where is 1 Peter? There he is right after Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. There it is. Chapter 3, verse 7. Are you there? Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with your wife, them. Dwell with your wife according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Why? That your prayers not be hindered. That's in the New Testament. God expects us in the New Testament to likewise treat our wives, giving honor as unto the weaker vessel. And that doesn't mean weaker like, oh, she's weak. That means more delicate like a, like a, Like a china vase. A a weaker vessel as opposed to a piece of steel. A softer, weaker vessel. Because she's not a man. I don't care what your stinking society says. She's not a man. She's a woman. She's built different. Her designs are different. Her mind is different. She thinks different. She acts different. She's a woman. She's a weaker vessel, not weaker because fa- God made us equal, right? Took man's rib, created woman. They're to work together. But man, if, you, if we don't, what does it say? Let me stay with here because I'm about to get in trouble. <laughs> Giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel, being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. So the same thing that was in Malachi in 400 B.C. is the same thing that's true in Fred, Texas in 2023. So let's move along here and let's look at the state of marriage in 30 A.D. So now we're now we're in the Adonai Domini age. We're after the birth of Christ. Let's look at Matthew chapter 19 and let's look at the state of marriage in Matthew chapter 19 This is 30 A.D., and let's look and see how marriage is doing. Now, remember, what's God's plan for marriage? One man, one woman, together for life, forming a family, forming their own family. That's God's plan. So let's look and see where we are in Matthew chapter 19 in in the year 30 A.D. Verse 3. The Pharisees came to Jesus, tempting him and saying, Is it lawful for a man to put away, to divorce his wife for every cause? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he made them at the beginning? He made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Does that sound familiar? Okay, so Jesus says this is how God did it in Genesis. Wherefore, they are no more two but one flesh, And what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. The Pharisees said to him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Jesus said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put his wife away except it be for fornication and shall marry another commits adultery, and whosoever marries her which is put away commits adultery. His disciples say to him, Um, his disciples say unto him if the case of the man be so with his wife it's not good to marry to me that's the funniest verse in the Bible did you hear what they said they said if I can't divorce her why would I want to marry her that's what they said did you hear that if the case of a man be so with his wife it's not good to marry so what's the concept of, of marriage in the, in the 30 A.D.? Jesus said in verse 8, Because of the hardness of your hearts, because you were not honest and pure enough to obey the primitive law of God, there was a danger that you would ill-treat your wives in order to get rid of them or even murder them. That's why Moses gave them a, a writing of Divorce. Because God knew that these men were so wicked that they would either ill-treat their wives or possibly murder them so they could marry another one. That shouldn't be so strange to you. Have you ever heard of Henry VIII? What did he do when he wanted to get remarried and they told him he couldn't? Off with her head. Okay, now she's dead. Now I can get married again. So that's not so far-fetched. That, don't say, well, that's barbaric. Well, it might be barbaric, but they did it. And so God, enabled, in order to, to save that, allowed a writing of divorcement. The lesser evil was regular divorce, and it's not true to say that Moses commanded he was only suffered you to put away your wife as temporary permission to meet your then circumstances. In 30 AD, verse 10, the disciples said in verse 10, it's not good to marry. Here's what Dake said. If one has to live with a wife with all the dissatisfaction and unhappiness, as in some cases, it's better not to marry. <laughs> so here's, a, here's Albert Barnes. This is good, too. They The, the disciples thought that, that the privilege of divorcing of wife when there was a quarrelsome disposition or anything else that rendered the marriage unhappy was a great privilege and that in such cases to be always bound with a wife was a great calamity. They said, therefore, it was such a case it was better not to marry than to have to be stuck with her and not be able to divorce her. And some of you men should have said amen. No, no, you shouldn't. I'm playing. I'm playing. That was the thoughts of people in 30 A.D. What did God say? One man, one woman, together forming one family. And as the family broke down, so broke down the society. Until in 30 A.D., divorce was so prevalent, so practiced, such a part of their life that the disciples said, if I can't divorce her, then why would I want to marry her? Let's press on. State of marriage in the early church. This one's better let's go to 1 corinthians chapter six this is a great one you're going to love this first corinthians chapter six now this is the church at corinth this is a church that was a gentile church or, or gentiles they got saved um, and, and now they're you know they're they're kind of a mixture of gentiles and jews they're, they're following the ways of christ they got saved and so in 1 corinthians six fifteen through twenty it says these words Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which joins himself to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh, and he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and not you're not your own? You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which is God's. Why did Paul write this? Paul wrote this because married and singled men continued to practice the pagan practice of having sexual relationships with harlots or temple prostitutes. I'm on my way to church, but first I'm going to stop by the harlot house, and then I'll come to church. I'll meet you there. Get the kids ready. (laughs) This is what was going on. And it was normal. This was normal. This is the way they did it. And so when they got saved, they just added church to the stop. And Paul says, Flee this mess. Don't be doing this. Let's look here at 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. First and second verse. It's reported commonly that there's fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife, and you, the church, are puffed up and have not rather mourn, that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. This was an example of a man of the church who was openly living in an incestuous intercourse with his, having living in incestuous intercourse with his stepmother, and that while his father was yet alive, yet this audacious offender was not excluded from the church. Why? Well, I mean, if you got guys stopping by the temple prostitutes on the way, this, this ain't that big a deal, right? At least it's all in the family. <laughs> this is the state of marriage at the time of the church. Let's look at the last one here because i got to finish up. 7, 12 through 17. State of marriage at the time of the church. Verse 12. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife that believed not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away, not divorce her. And if the woman which hath a husband that believed not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Elsewhere your children unclean, but now they're holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. What knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? What knowest thou, o man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? But God has distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk, and so I ordain in all the churches. What is he telling them there? He's saying if you get saved and your wife doesn't get saved, you can't leave her and marry somebody in the church. If, if the wife gets saved, then the husband doesn't go to, want to go to church. You can't divorce him, leave him, and then get married to somebody else in the church. The marriage vows, look, look at verse 39. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband be dead, then she's at liberty to marry who she will only in the Lord. You don't null and void the relationship just because you got saved. If anything, you rejoice because now your children and your husband have a chance to get saved and likewise go to heaven. You don't leave them. But in the church, this is what they were doing. I got saved. Well, I'm not going to church with you. Okay, sign here. (laughs) So, God said one man, one woman for life. But as you can see, we throughout time have continually not wanted to do that and the biggest problem with that is because of our definition of love love in god's eyes is a commitment but in our eyes it's an emotion and we want to decide whether or not we stay with each other based upon how we feel about each other whether or not we're in love or out of love or in love but not or loving but not in love or out of love but not in love or I don't know. <laughs> Craziness. I know. It gets weird. So, um, I just, I just got to tell you one quick story, and then I'll, I'll let you go. My first pastorate, had, Kathy and I was in Houston. We hadn't pastored very long, and a lady called me. And she wanted me to pray with her. She said she had attended the church where we were now pastoring. She used to go there. She didn't go there now. But she wanted us to pray with her about this situation because she had gotten, she'd gotten uh, with this man who was, who was divorced, but, her, but his kids wouldn't accept her. And I said, okay. And so I got to asking some questions and, and just getting some information. And the more I talked to her, the more I began to realize He wasn't divorced. He wasn't divorced. He was living with her. But he wasn't divorced. And the kids were mad at at her because she was breaking up their home because she was letting this guy live with her. And he was married. And I told her, I said, you need to get him out of your house. She said, the kids just don't understand. He loves me. He don't love her, their mother. I said, that doesn't matter. <laughs> he is married. He's not divorced. And besides that, you're breaking up a home. And she argued with me until I finally said, you know what? I, I don't think I can help you. I th- I, I, you're going to have to go see a counselor or somebody because I'm obviously not the right guy here. And so what I'm telling you is God has a plan for marriage. And what we're going to talk about for the next several weeks is God's plan for marriage, and we're going to talk about how we can make that work in the 21st century. Now if if some of you don't show up next week, I'm going to know. I'm going to, I'm going to know. Yeah, you're you're on vacation too. Everybody's on vacation. vacation. It'll be me and the me and the the crickets next week, chirping. Me and Kathy and the the Tantons and the crickets. Oh, and Dustin'll be here. Somebody got to play the drum. Tracy'll be here. She got to play. Stand with me if you would. This is gonna be fun. We're gonna we're gonna have a good time. We're gonna have a good time with this because this because marriage marriage is 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 an institution made by God and it's it's meant to bring satisfaction it's meant to be fun so Chuck, do you had your hand up did I, I did you want to say something well i didn't understand the uh, temple oh okay and, and did they just call them that because they dealt with them on the way to temple they they were actually they were actually they were actually young boys and ladies, if you, if you research it, who felt like that God had called them, or their God, whoever he was at the time, whether it was Apollo or, or whatever God it was, they felt like that God had called them to give their bodies for this God to basically raise money. And so what these people did, these ladies and, and young boys uh, some, some parents would, would dedicate their children to this God, and then that child would be... I don't have to explain that to you, do I? I don't really want to. But um, th- and that's what they did. They gave their bodies for this God, and you paid the priest, and then they performed the service, and I guess you went away happy, I guess. I don't know. But um, that's, that's what they were. And, and even in the Jewish religion, if you read in the Jewish religion... When you, you, you should really read and study the book of Leviticus. I know it's boring because it's, it's got all these things. But in, in the book of Leviticus, it talks about temple prostitutes at the Jewish temple. And it calls these young boys who give their bodies to do this, it calls them dogs. I'll let you look that up. But yes, there, there are men and women who give their bodies for illicit reasons in order to raise money for the temple, to pay their temple tax or whatever. But that was a practice, and it just carried on. You know, the people were so comfortable with it that they really didn't think too much of it, so there you go. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> but it could be. All right, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your direction, Father. Thank you, Lord God, for taking this difficult subject, Lord, and making it enjoyable tonight, God. I pray in Jesus' name that you would lead us and guide us, Lord God, as we study this, Father God, and help us, Lord God, to follow Your will and Your way, Lord, to build stronger homes, stronger relationships, and stronger marriages. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'm in the heart. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not coming the, Not going by the church. <laughs>